0: The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. And if you're visiting with us, uh, our regular folks here will tell you we've been in Mark since the beginning of creation. And that's probably pretty close to where we are. And uh, I want you to know with a new calendar week and a new calendar time that we are getting closer to the end, uh, TVBC regulars. Uh, we are three months out from being done with the study of the Gospel of Mark. So, And we're Baptists. It's on the calendar, so it has to happen. So uh, it's coming down. Uh, but this morning, a topic that is very... Um, It's a topic that we know a lot about, but I think it's good to be reminded of, the Lord's Supper. And today's topic, today's title is the First and the Last Supper. And you're welcome to join us, uh, Mark chapter 14. Well, come with me to a typical church on any given Sunday, and we're going to look at a few members. And Amy will put this picture up, but the picture might look something like this. We don't have pews. It's been five years since we have But both from the outside and from the inside, I want to give you a story of a few people. Maybe this is you, maybe it's not. But first is Mary Smith. She seems very happy as she smiles at her friends and she enters the church. But you may have missed that icy glance that she casts towards Linda Brown. And the two women aren't talking to one another since falling out a couple months ago because, as Mary said, to think that she calls herself a Christian, how dare she? And Mary thinks herself as she goes down the aisle. And as Linda looks at Mary, she says, that hypocrite, what a phony she is. But over here you have Jerry Jones. Uh, Just pretend the Dallas Cowboys owner is in our midst. And he is on the deacon board. He's active with the men's fellowship. He teaches a fourth grade boys Sunday school class. He's there every time the doors are open. Jerry's a real servant. If you need anything done, you call Jerry. And that's, that sounds like a hotline, I know, but he helps out every Saturday. He's there for everything. They call him Old Faithful because that's what he is. Or is he? If you could look beneath the frenzy of activities, you'd find a man who's trying to work off a load of guilt. In fact, there are some things in Jerry's past that nobody at the church would ever guess. Not even his wife knows about some of the terrible things he did in the Navy But not to rock the boat, he's serving the Lord so he can forget about those things and keep the peace at home and at church. Oh, and then there's James. He's a single young man who's fighting looking at images he should not look at on on the Internet. But he's not alone because he's one of the many single but merry men who are defeated and who are struggling by that plague. Sounds like a church somewhere far off, doesn't it? But really, this is a picture of a church anywhere. This is the picture of the church. There, this is a picture of fictional people I made up, to be sure. But these people wouldn't ever be in our churches, would they? I mean, we have perfect people at Tower View all the time, right? We're like, Jesus is here, and we're just skimming the... No, that's not at all who we are. In fact, this was a description of the church at Corinth in 21st century language. There were various factions in the church. Some were involved in sexual immorality. Some had drinking problems. Some had done things in their past, like that, that guy Jerry Jones, that they did not want to talk about. And while the church should have had an influence on the pagan city, the reality of Corinth was that the city was having an influence on the church. And the early church had no church buildings, and Sunday was not a day off. And it was the custom to gather on Sunday evenings in the homes of the wealthier members so that they could partake of the Lord's Supper. And their worship had a potluck supper. They were the first Baptist, I'm sure. And they called it an agape, or a love feast, according to Jude chapter, or verse 12. And the problem of Corinth, though, is that the wealthy members got there first, and they gorged themselves. They overate themselves. And when the slaves and the other poor people arrived, the food was gone. And even worse, a few of the wealthy people filled their glasses with wine so much they were drunk at the Lord's Supper. And they continually missed the significance of the purpose of the supper. And some of the members were suffering severe discipline from the Lord for their irreverence. But again, that would never happen at a uh, typical American evangelical church, though, would it? First Corinthians 11, and Amy will put this up on the screen, says, As Jesus reminded and Paul reflects, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, it's a reminder to us. We're not studying the church at Corinth, but it's a reminder to us as we look at the final Last Supper today that as we come, we come with love for others, a remembrance for the Lord, and an examination of ourselves. And this is why the Lord's Supper is so important because outside of baptism, it's the only ordinance given to the church. It's called the table of the Lord, the the, the thanksgiving. It's called the breaking of bread, all these different things. But how could a church... Get so far off from something so basic that every church does it almost every week. And why is it so important to nail down? I mean, really, why is it so important to get this right? Because Jesus gives us pretty simple instructions, Pastor. I mean, all you got to do is pass out some little fake bread wafer things that Lifeway makes and get some Welch's grape juice and you got the Lord's Supper, right? Well, maybe. But at the end of the day, the question is, do we understand the significance of it? And do we live it out as a church and what it truly means? Today's big idea, the, the thesis of the whole sermon is simply this, is that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're not just remembering the past, but we are tasting the future. So why is this important to you today? And Amy's going to give us four quick reasons. This is a longer intro than I usually give, but I want you to see this. First off, Jesus himself is speaking. He's the one who's going to tell us what it's about. And that's important enough, isn't it? I mean, how many of us, if we're honest, when our boss says, hey, you, you kind of jump up and you get up quick like this because you know your job could depend on it. Or guys, your wives, especially if that's how it happens. You You do it because Jesus is speaking. This is important, and he tells us this is something to do in remembrance of him, and the one who speaks with the sound of many waters is the head of the church, and no one will address me from a higher place than he does. Secondly, this is a primary matter. A primary matter. This isn't just, should we have a guitar, should we not? Should we put up patriotic decorations, should we not? Should we have a pool outside for the church, or should we not? Should we do this event, or should we not? That's secondary stuff, to some degree. But this is primary. We are cross-centered people, are we not? We're saved by the cross, we're sanctified by the cross, we're glorified by the cross, and we preach Christ crucified. And the Bible knows nothing of a Christian who doesn't regularly partake in the local church of the Lord's Supper. But thirdly here, why is this important to you to study this? It's important because it elevates the timing of Jesus' words. Let me remind you where we're at. We're in Mark 14. This is the Last Supper. The hours are ticking down. Uh, the hours are going backwards. They're not going forward for Jesus. He's running out of time. He's going to be suspended for six hours the following Friday from about 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So he's speaking directly of what is to come. But finally, and let me just take a note here. You guys know I love those old dead guys, right? Because dead guys don't talk back to you. Do you know what I mean? They just talk to you in some sense. So, but there was a high price that is paid for the right interpretation of what we are doing today. We're not taking the Lord's Supper today. That will be in a couple weeks as we rotate week after or month after month, a week at a time. But people died to get the Lord's Supper correct. People died for the very fact that they believed that the Lord's Supper wasn't actually the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Well, you say, well, how could that ever happen? Go back to the English, guys. Go back to, you've heard that phrase, Mary. Mary, you know, bloody Mary. She sentenced over 209 people because they partook of the Lord's Supper not as the actual body, blood, and body of Christ, but because they believed it was symbolic. So when we look at the Lord's Supper today, know that it's important to you because this is so foundational for you and that people have literally given their lives for the preservation of the right belief that we have today. What a joy that is. Four things this morning, and yes, I am so sorry, It is alliteration again for the sixth straight week. If you hate alliteration, you can tell me afterwards, but I want to look at four A's today. We're going to look at four aspects of how we remember the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at the affirmation, what Jesus told us about his body. We're going to look at the amplification, how Jesus says, of all the ages to come, this is it. His blood is part of the new covenant. Then we're going to see the anticipation of Jesus' death, but also the fact that, that, that someday we will join him in, the Lord's Supper in heaven, and then the adoration, they sing a song, they sung a hymn. There must not be any contemporary songs in the Bible, because it was all hymns, right? Sorry, some of you, that's a joke, some of you are not sure how to take that. But that's what we're going to look at this morning. As you are able, will you stand with me in honor of God's word, and uh, we are going to look at these four verses this morning. Why is it so important, the Lord's Supper, to get this right? It's so important, as we go look at the Last Supper, Jesus' words from Mark, Short as they are, Mark is the the snippet, pithy guy, and here is what he writes recording what happened that final night of Jesus' life. Hear the word of the Lord. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take, or take, eat, this is my body. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink of it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Guys, this morning, as I often say, and and regulars, you hear this often, you are coming in with so much stuff in your life. Whether it's interpersonal, whether it's something at your job, whether it's your health your finances, your, your faith, whatever it is. There's lots of needs here today. We can't preach to every need. Christ is sufficient for that. But I pray as we look at what Christ has given us here that you see that he is enough and that he's able to take all that we have. Will you join me in prayer as we start this morning? Fathers, we come before you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you that we have the chance to see and to hear the words of the Lord how many countries today father around the world where brothers and sisters are persecuted just by opening or having a uh, a snippet of the bible on their person Father, we thank you for the freedom we have to gather. May we honor you with it today. Father, for those without Christ today, I, I I pray your spirit awakens them to see the need for Christ, to repent and believe the gospel. I pray for those with Christ, visitor, regular attender, member, that, Lord, we walk hand in hand with you by your spirit as you lead us, Father, on this road of faith. We thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. All right, you may be seated, guys. Thank you so much. Well, as we come before this this morning, it is definitely something that Jesus is in the midst of the Lord's Supper and I don't have a slide for this but I wanted to give you just an update about where we are in the Lord's Supper and the last night of Jesus's return because Matthew records some John records some Luke records some so how do we bring this all together I'm just going to outline this for you but I want you to hear First, you remember, and this is in Mark, that Peter and John went to prepare a place for them to meet. You remember that, don't you? And Jesus told them exactly how it was, and it was. And Christ, uh, Judas, uh, went and talked to the chief priests about that same time. And then they arrive, and the twelve arrive in such a way as not to allow Judas an opportunity to betray Christ. He's going to wait for a better opportunity. And then, thirdly, they enjoy the formal Passover, that time of celebration We talked about a couple weeks ago where they are protected from God's judgment uh, designed for his people in Egypt using a Passover lamb. The the city's bustling. I like to compare it from uh, November whatever 2015 when the Kansas City Royals won the World Series and the city was busting at the seams. And people were walking across the Broadway Bridge just to get downtown because you couldn't drive your car. This is Jerusalem in 33, 30 AD time. It's bustling. And right before the end of the Passover ceremony, there's a lengthy time where they just eat. Without any focus or celebration or symbolism. They just enjoy time together. They're hanging out, basically. And then the longest part of the Passover, I believe, is when a great deal happened. It's during that time that Jesus, in John 13, washes the feet of his disciples. We're not covering that, but you need to know that's there. And after this time, they're still eating, And Jesus breaks the shocking news, as we looked at last week, that one of them is going to betray him. You remember the story. They say, is it I? Is it me? Jesus, are you talking to me? Well, he didn't look at me with his eyes, but is he really talking about me? And then we, most Bible scholars agree with this, but Judas then departs. He leaves because Jesus says, go and do what you're going to do. And they think he's going to go do something for the ministry, but in fact, Judas is going to go sell out Jesus. And then... After that instruction to Judas, which is John 13 to 17, Jesus then picks it up right here at the Lord's Supper. So let me be very clear from the outset. The Lord's Supper is for believers only. Judas, who was not a believer, was not there when they first started the Lord's Supper. You need to know that. And then as they wrap up communion, they discuss which one of them will betray Jesus and again argue about who is the greatest. Who are these guys, really? Really? Crazy as they are. But the first thing I want you to see is remember the Lord's Supper by acceptance. Remember it by acceptance. Look back at verse 22. And it says that it's in the upper room. And we just went over that. But as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. This would not have been anything out of the ordinary. In fact, giving the bread was just a regular part of the thing. It's part of it. That's part of the Passover. It's what you do. So Jesus isn't doing anything out of the norm here. But what he's getting ready to do in the next point as we move forward is that he is going to say something that's going to revolutionize and and actually institute what we know as the Lord's Supper. He took the bread, the flat unleavened cakes they used during that time, And after a blessing, he gave thanks. He broke it. He probably handed it out in small pieces. He gave it to them, each disciple, only the 11. Remember, Judas is not with them at this time. And he tells them, and he goes on to tell them, and we'll just dip our toes in here. He tells them, take, eat, this is my body. Now, If you're a disciple at the time, you've kind of gotten used to Jesus saying some things that are just a little bit out there, right? And you think, okay, I believe him, but Jesus, that's not how the rabbis would say it, but you're, you're Jesus, I get it, okay. Take ye, this is my body? Jesus, are we going all Jeffrey Dahmer carnivore on you all of a sudden? What's going on? The fact is... This has caused a lot of controversy. I want to put this up. Amy, you can just go ahead and put all four up for sakes of those taking notes. There are four ways that you can view the Lord's Supper this morning. And, Nelson, do you mind turning down the heat a little bit or the, the air a little bit? I'm feeling hot. They're probably hot. It works. Thank you, Brother Nelson. There are four ways we can view this. Take eat. This is my body. Friends, first off, there are those who believe that, and this is primarily the Catholic religion. I want you to, let me just say this first. Anything I'm about to say is said with the utmost respect, but you need to know what the Word of God teaches. Do you see that difference? The first thing that we see is that some people believe that when you partake of the Lord's Supper, that you actually are eating the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Guys, I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but that just grosses me out. We do not literally feast on Jesus when we come together. Do you understand that? Guys, if you believe that the Lord's Supper literally is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, do you know what you're saying about your faith? You're basically saying that the gospel is not enough. You're basically saying that Jesus did not die uh, die enough sufficient death that every time you come together, you have to recreate his death. That's called the Mass. The Mass is the re-crucifixion through the giving of the elements each time it is celebrated. That's why it's blasphemous. Please hear me clearly. I love all Catholic people, as should you. But friends, celebrating the Mass is taking the gospel to a place Jesus never wanted the gospel to go. Do you see that? We do not feast on Jesus' flesh. We do not literally drink his blood. It is died once and for all. He's done. It's finished. He died on that cross, and that is enough for your salvation. Amen? Second thing some people believe Lutherans take this to be, please hear this clearly we're not uh, we're not trying to recruit you to the Southern Baptist world, but you need to know where people are coming from on this issue where he says, "Take ye, this is my body." second thing is is a thing called consubstantiation, where it doesn't actually it isn't actually the blood and body of Christ, but it but the real body and blood are added to it it's kind of an extra benefit it 's kind of like the glaze on it, if you will and and again, the question becomes. What is that necessary for? So traditionally, Protestants have taken to, and this is point number three and point number three. As Baptists we have taken the memorial view, that is, when we partake of the Lord's Supper and we say, "Take eat, this is my body," we are saying it is a symbolic action pointing back to a greater reality. Just like baptism, the waters of baptism do not save you any more than uh, than staying in a, a garage and standing there makes you a car. If you're a human, you're still a human. You may act like a Porsche, you may make sounds like a Ferrari, but you sure ain't one when it comes out of it. The same thing is true of the Lord's Supper. We believe when he said, this is my body, he's pointing to a symbolic reality. That is that we're not literally feasting on the blood and body. We're not literally feasting on anything added to it. We are simply looking at Christ giving a symbol and an action. The fourth view, and this is one that we're kind of cousins with, Presbyterians, some Methodists, and some others, believe that the spiritual presence of Christ is within the supper. And as evangelicals, we would be in that same camp. But I want to be very, very clear. We do not eat the body and blood of Christ. Can you imagine every time you came to the Lord's Supper that you had to reaffirm and you had, to, you had to be saved over and over and over and over again every time you took the Lord's Supper. Would that be scary for you? What about those days when your faith isn't as strong as it is for others? And, and sometimes you feel like you're not saved. Some people believe that by partaking in the Lord's Supper and eating the actual body and blood of Christ, that's what they're doing. Friends, that's hogwash. And I say that with all respect. We believe that Jesus is sufficient for salvation. Amen? How are you saved if you're saved here today? You are saved by faith alone and grace alone, through Christ alone, for his glory alone. That's it. You're not saved because you're good enough, you're fast enough, you're strong enough, you have a good uh, 401K, you've got good clothes, your your mama was a, a Sunday school teacher, your daddy was a pastor, your cousin was a deacon. You are saved if you're saved here today because of Christ. And Christ alone. Now I know, as I say those words, that's going to step on some of your toes. Maybe your family's toes, maybe your toes. Well, are you saying they are taking of the mass, friends? We are. Yes. Let me be utterly clear: if you believe that Jesus has to be re-crucified every time you come to church, I don't know which Jesus you're talking about. It's certainly not the Bible's Jesus. I've probably lost a lot of visitors for this one. But friends, Jesus says, this is the line in the sand. Which side are you on? You hear that with love? I hope you do. Well, you're just a Southern Baptist pastor and a Southern Baptist church pastor. You're just, oh, woo, woo, woo. Well, maybe so. But this is what the Bible says. So this is what he tells us. We, you can take the memorial spiritual presence, Baptists take the memorial view, but those are all within the realm of orthodoxy. Secondly, I want you to see this, and Amy will put it up. Why do we say this? And these are are very facts. This is the longest point we have this morning. Why do we say this? Number one, we say this because Jesus sometimes uses metaphorical language. Jesus said, I'm the door. Well, the disciples didn't go up to him and say, hey, Jesus, let me turn the knob and walk right through you. Or he said, I am the bread of life. They didn't literally go and gnaw on Jesus' arm. That's just weird, man. Who does that? Jesus uses metaphorical languages sometimes to make a point. Parents, you do this. I love you to the moon and back. Well, it's been 50 years since we've been to the moon around about, Lee. And guess what? It actually did happen. It wasn't a hoax. And the other part of that is, is that when you say that, what you're saying is you love that person so much and so far, you'd be willing to do anything for them. So when Jesus says, this is my body, take eat, he's not literally saying, go gnaw on his arm." We don't see the disciples getting up and like, you take the ear, I'll take the eye, I got the feet. Man, those look really good. That's just gross. Second thing is, why do we say this? The second thing is, is that he was standing right in front of them literally. Again, he's not saying that they knew his body was handing out the bread. So they're not literally eating his body. Third, if you want to be really geeky, greeky about it, the bread is masculine and this is neuter. In other words, the broken thing is my body. It goes back to the syntax of the whole thing. Fourthly, the Old Testament law says that you should not eat things with blood in it. And Jesus hadn't given the command for all things to be clear quite yet. He had mentioned it that had been instituted until roughly about Acts 10. And a body can't be in more place than one time. There's another reason for you. Well, Darren, isn't isn't Jesus omnipresent? Isn't he fully God and fully man? Yes, yes, amen. But physically, he was right there in front of them. If that really is the body of Christ that we partake of at the Lord's Supper, one church has it somewhere, and the other churches are just doing all the fake stuff. If Jesus goes to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes from all ages for all time. But Jesus as a human can only be in one place at one time. This is why we believe the Lord's Supper is Primarily a symbolic or a spiritual presence. You say, Darren, aren't you just parsing, cutting hairs and doing all those things? No. Guys, the gospel is at stake. Do you see that? This is not just Protestant versus Catholic. This is not just Protestant versus whatever else. This is literally believing what Jesus said about himself or what he didn't say about himself. There's some things that are worth going to the stake under Bloody Mary and dying for. And, guys, this would be one of them. You say, Darren, it's just the Lord's Supper. Well, it is. Exactly. It's just the Lord's Supper. That's it. Secondly, we remember not only by accepting, we remember by amplification. Notice verse 23. Here's what Jesus said. It says, when he took the cup, and it says very clearly, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank of it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many. The cup that he had was, was, was wine-based. I, whatever that does to your theology, I'll let that do for your theology. But it was wine But It wasn't Welch's grape juice, okay? Uh, as much as, or the Off Aldi brand, whatever it is. This is probably the third cup they've had. He gave thanks for the food, but also he gave thanks for the cup He said, this is my blood for the covenant. The wine pictures his blood, and it anticipates the next day. He's literally saying, I am going to be giving myself over and out, and I'm going to be dying. Therefore, you will always remember me by doing this way. And what is a covenant? That's an old word. You don't uh, don't go up to your mortgage person when you buy a house and say, I want to make a covenant with you. You sign a document that signs your life away until you die, and plus some, right? But a covenant's an agreement. It's an acceptance. It's, a, it's an amplification of things that are to be agreed upon. And man cannot cut his own deal with God. He has to take what God gives in his infinite grace. And the entire Old Testament law was based on bringing sacrifices one to the next. And not one drop of blood would save those people. How were the Old Testament people saved? They were saved the same way you are saved if you're saved here today, by faith. Hebrews 11, they were saved by faith. And out of his mercy and grace, he sent a son so that we, once and for all, could have complete and utter assurance that the one who receives Christ has full and perfect forgiveness of sin. When Christ says, this is my blood, take drink, he's saying everything that's ever been prophesied is fulfilled right here. Wow. And notice it doesn't say a covenant. Did you notice that there? It says the covenant. Did you notice that? Notice the little word there. The definite article is very clear. He said, this is the blood of the covenant. This isn't uh, an agreement between God and the Jews and eventually Christians, and then the Muslims have their own thing over here and Buddhists and, and all these. It is the covenant. This is it. Just as Jesus told them in John 14, 6, I'm a way, a truth, and a life, right? Is that what Jesus said? No, he did not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. That the is important. It's the only thing that will ever save. And church, what a reminder for us today that we stand on hallowed ground. As we stand as a church for truth in this society, we stand on the shoulders of people who have given their lives for the faith, but we stand under the lordship of one who said, I am the only God. With respect. This is why Mormon's view of God is completely unbiblical. That's why Jehovah's Witnesses who knock on your door, especially around April, as they get their counts getting for their conference annually, as they get little points uh, for the, the future ahead, this is why their view of God is not correct. You have to be specific. You know what? Uh, I, uh, my, uh, Willie, I'm just going to point you out. My, my former pastor Sycamore Hills is here. Willie was there for this moment at our wedding, uh, back in Oklahoma, I think I've shared this before, during my wedding vows, I was so nervous. Uh, we were reading some scripture, you know, I will be humble, I won't be prideful, uh, and all these things. And I said, I, w- I won't be humble, I will be prideful. I basically did the opposite of all the stuff. And, and then Nathan Rose, who pastors at Liberty Baptist, will tell you, he looked at me funny, and then said, oh, yeah, th- I said the negative to what I shouldn't have said. You have to be specific. If I walk in my marriage saying it's all about me, that marriage is already off on the wrong foot, right? You are specific in your contracts with people. You are specific in everything you do in life. Church, how much more do we need to be specific that this covenant is the covenant? This is it. The agreement that we have with God is specific. And notice he says there very clearly, he says, and I've poured out my blood. It's not the blood of animals. It's his blood, which is poured out for many Notice that key word there, many. Look at your Bible. Underline that, many. It does not say all. It does not say all. I've run races there. They're super nice people. I am just stepping on everyone's toes this morning, and it is what it is. But if you go down to Unity Village and the Unity Church, they will tell you that every religion has a piece of the pie, and we just all got to put it together, and we make the best religion ever. Again, false. Not everyone is going to be saved, folks. We are not universalists. We do not believe that every person who walks on this earth will be in heaven someday, but only those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his blood for them. That's what we know. He died for many. How many? I have no idea, but there's going to be a lot. Aren't you grateful for that day? Every tribe, every nation, every tongue is going to be represented, and it's going to be amplified worship. Woo! and we love that, don't we? We're going to amplify that sound up. Guys, this is what he said. And this means when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming with all Christians everywhere, this is not it. It's about him, and we're here to glorify him. So where does this leave us? It reminds us of Hebrews 9.22, there's no remission of sin without blood. 2 Peter 1, we're redeemed with the spotless blood of the Lamb. Revelation, we're washed... Uh, we wash our robes and the blood of the Lamb to make them white. But in the New Covenant, and, and Amy will put this up, in the New Covenant, there, God hates any religion that does not have Jesus Christ at the center. We're really winning friends and influencing people today, right? Guys, it, this is it. This is not nominal cultural Christianity. This is it. We have the market on the truth. As I said so many times, Jesus is the most exclusive, inclusive God there ever was. Exclusive because he's the only way, but inclusive that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God does not relax his standards. He's expanded his grace. And the new covenant is a word of faithful and unfailing God who made it, and he's carrying it out. What an awesome God we serve. So we remember by accepting this truth. We remember by amplifying this truth that this is the one truth. And look at verse 25, and I'm going here quickly. Look at verse 25. We remember by anticipating what's to come. Look back at verse 25. you have your Bible, your tablet, your smartphone, your brain, uh, check back in. Verse 25, he said, Truly I say to you, there are some words Jesus has said that are more emphasized than others. They're all Scripture for sure. But he says, I say to you, I, speaking of himself, will not drink again the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What is he saying here? Jesus is saying, I'm giving you this last supper so you can always remember me, but I myself am not going to drink again until I am in heaven with you. Again, veiled language for the disciples, but he's basically telling them, guys, what I've told you in Mark 8 and Mark 10 and Mark 9 that I'm going to die, guess what? It's here. It's coming. It's right before you. And he reminds them that they will not drink again. He will not drink the fruit of the vine again until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Heaven. Heaven. Heaven is for real, not because a boy told you. Not because a man died and supposedly went there. Heaven is real because Jesus Christ says it's real. Amen? That's the awesome news. He tells you with anticipation you're to remember the Lord's Supper. In two weeks on July 21st when we partake again, he's telling us that the day is coming and eternity, and Amy will put this up, eternity won't be long enough to exhaust our thanks for the forgiving, rescuing, transforming, empowering, delivering grace of Jesus Christ. Look, you're having a bad day this week. Take it back to Jesus. Preach the gospel to yourself. It could be worse. It could be a lot worse. But guys, I look forward to the day when every business meeting decision, everything we have to decide as pastors, everything that makes church life hard sometimes is just, it's just gone, and it's just just Jesus. Amen. I look forward to the day when churches of like-minded faith who cover the essentials together and the primaries held together won't be named by Baptist or whatever else. We are one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. We look forward to that day. And the last Passover is done. The new old covenant is ended, but the new covenant has come and has been ratified by Jesus's death. And as Christ leads them in celebrating the Passover, and the Lord's table is not merely the cross, but he'll be sacrificed for all for us. And Christ is enough. Friend, today, if you get bored of hearing about the gospel, may I submit to you, you may not know the gospel. The gospel is the greatest thing we have. How do we win Grace Moore and Maple Park? By the power of the gospel. How do you transform your marriage? It's by God working through the power of the gospel in your life. The gospel is not just a flu shot you get once in your life to get out of hell. The gospel is the power by God's spirit and his grace that you live out each and every day under. You may find many things boring about our church Pastor being number one, amen? But please, I hope we are never bored with Jesus Christ. We never get bored with the things of God and the more vulnerable we are. Whenever I think i to get bored, think about Jesus, man. He can astound you any day. Natalie and I, we, we took a, just a short little vacation to a little town uh, with a pool and our kids loved it. We just decided to turn on Amazon Prime and see what's out there. I think we went back, like, 20 years in dumbness, uh, just watching movie, two movies this last year. We, we said, we're done. Like, it, what is out there that's even beneficial? Look, one reason churches get bored and life gets boring is we, we want Jesus, but not too much of Jesus. Not so much he actually takes us over. But, friends, when we submit to him, it is all awesome from there. Not easy, but it's glorious for his sake. It's so good, we will enjoy it. One day we celebrate with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Take that to the bank. Last thing is this. Not only do we remember the Lord's Supper by accepting, by amplifying the truth of the new covenant, by anticipating it, but we remember by adoration. I was thinking about our worship team this week because this is about singing, and if you're not a singer... Our our, our team and our brother would tell you that uh, you need to change that. You need to get out those vocal cords. It doesn't matter how you sing. It's to whom you sing, all that great stuff. But notice what they did. That's right, Tina. But truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit. And he goes on in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So what were they singing? There were certain psalms. That's right. There were certain psalms that they sang that they got together with. Probably Psalm 115 to 118. And this is very traditional for them to do. But you notice there, we don't know what specific Solomon it is, but I'm, I'm deeply moved by the truth of this moment. Here's Christ singing praise to God just hours before he goes to the cross. If you've ever done something excruciatingly physical, maybe it's a race or it's a workout or it's something, probably before that workout, you're just lying there in bed saying, Lord, can it please just be done now? And here's Jesus saying, bring it on. He's going he's to pray in a couple of weeks. As we look at this, he's going to pray, Lord, you know, let this cup pass. We'll talk about that. But Jesus is saying, Lord, bring it on. This is what it's all about. This is what I was sent for. This is who I am. I am there to be for them. But they are singing praises to God. Maybe it was Psalm 118.1, which says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Maybe it was Psalm 136 it says, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. It's a reminder to us, friends, that any day we are not in H-E double hockey sticks is a pretty good day, right? It's a time for praise. These disciples and indeed Christ Himself sang a song. It reminds you of Paul and Silas, doesn't it? In Acts 16, when they're in the depths of the, of the jail, what do they do? They just belt out in song. That's all they can do. Look, I, I, I don't sing well. I, I think you know that by now, most of you regulars. But one thing I know is I love our church because we come together, we sing. We sing the songs. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it is or who's burned you, no matter how unfair it is, the cross changes everything for the Christian. The gospel refocuses everyone, and it Christian deals with. Christ shed blood changes your attitude about life. That bill comes in the mail. You can't pay. Okay? Lord, you're big enough to handle my salvation. Lord, you're big enough to help me out with this. I want to work hard. I want to be wise with all my money. But, God, this is in your hands. Lord, we had termites in our roof. Thank God for those birds who ate the termites in our roof. Amen? God provides and his love is good forever. Those are superficial things. But the gospel changes those superficial things on their head and puts it in an eternal perspective. Jesus dying for you when you had nothing to do with it should actually alter your conversation. Stop your complaints and your critical comments. He died for you. How could you possibly say that, do that, or think that? For his loving kindness endures forever. I end with this. Amy, if you want to put these last up, just bullet them up there, please. It would be great. What's this mean for us as we close? I mean, Jew, if you are not a Christian here today, and I don't want to use this as an add-on. This isn't just what we say. This is reality. If you're not a Christian here today, we are so grateful. This sounds weird. They're talking about blood and bodies, and uh, it it sounds weird. But the greatest truth is you have sinned so terribly against the holy God that the only thing that could save you is the very blood and body of Jesus Christ, the God, man, the perfect one you're not a Christian here today and want to know more about that, Pastor Nelson and I will be up here up front at the end. We'd love to talk with you more. Second thing is, is based on what Jesus says here, we must live by grace and through the Spirit a cross-centered life. Church, every decision we make goes back to the fact, how does this get the gospel out to people and grow people in the gospel? And if those questions can't be answered positively, then maybe we should rethink our decision. So, Darren, if we buy hot dogs at Sands for the cookout on August 3rd, are we asking the question, is it cross-centered? Maybe. Maybe so. Does that hot dog get a conversation with someone possibly to lead them to Christ? Maybe so. But the question remains, are we living a cross-centered life? Is it about Christ? Thirdly is this, prioritize the Lord's Supper. Look, you're going to travel. You're going to be gone. Some of you will serve in the nursery on months that we have it. But the the Bible knows nothing about a a Christian who doesn't partake of the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper is not to be done in private marriage ceremonies. The Lord's Supper should not be done biblically, I think, in in a small group retreat somewhere. The Lord's Supper primarily should be done within the biggest gathering of the Lord's people on the Lord's Day. Friends, so you come. Some of you, it may have been months or years since you partaken of the Lord's Supper together. Can I ask you why? Is it because you have a beef with someone else in the church you need to settle biblically? Is it because you're fearful of what God may do? Come to the Lord's Supper. Solve that peaceful thing. Take your repentance to the Lord, but know this, the Lord's Supper is priority for you. Well, Darren, we're not literally eating the blood and body of Christ, so what does it do for me? It reminds you of what Christ has done for you. It reminds you of what you're here to do. It's the most important thing you can ever do. Listen, you don't get baptized over and over and over and over again, but the Lord's Supper is something you're going to do over and over and over again until he comes. And be busy telling others about Jesus. That's what it's all about. Guys, I love our church because you are out there all the time sharing Jesus. And as you walk out those sanctuary doors, you'll see the the who's your one list and people we're praying for to come to Christ. Thank you for your faithfulness. We love you guys so much. you pray with me as we close this morning? And thank you for your attendance this morning. Father God, we pray as we we get ready to go out today. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for the task. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for all things, for life and godliness. Father, we thank you that the cross is enough. Father, we thank you that we can have, with all love and respect, the utmost opportunity to fellowship together. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper in a couple weeks on rotation, we pray that you uh, lend us, Father, forgiveness in our hearts that we may not have, but supernaturally you can give. We pray you lend us, Lord, the ability to love others not like ourselves in the church. Father, we pray that we would receive that love as well and receive that forgiveness. Father, we pray, too, if we feel unworthy to come to the Lord's Supper, that we, we thank you that, Lord, that your, your grace is sufficient, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So, Lord, give us wisdom, but, Lord, help us to come together. Lord, as often as we eat and drink these things, we proclaim your death, your son's death, Father, until he returns. Father, we look forward to those days. Father, guard the fact that this is so distinct, but, Lord, let all those who are of Christ come together to celebrate by your grace for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.